good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Couldn't cut any cut Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Hey everybody, this is Ogamaganuakwe standing in for Wakanjahade today. Uh, we're going to go straight into the news this evening and I uh, hope you enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. Buju Anin relatives, this is Ogamaganuakwe with Native Roots Radio. I have some news and information for you today. First, I want to tell everybody that my name means Strong Golden Eagle Woman and I'm a citizen of the Red Lake Nation in northern Minnesota. And I'm coming to you from Dakota Homelands in central Minnesota. Really excited to be here with some updates, uh, especially about the uh, event that's coming up on uh, the 25th, which is uh, Saturday, February 25th. Uh, The Warrior Women Project is uh, hosting a special community exhibit for the 50th anniversary of the 1973 occupation of Wounded Knee. The exhibit is going to feature never-before-seen interviews with the matriarchs of Wounded Knee from Pine Ridge, who were the driving force behind the occupation. The exhibit's going to highlight oral history interviews with women who played significant roles as community leaders in the events surrounding Wounded Knee and providing compelling storytelling experiences. The exhibit is really going to give community members a glimpse into the history of Wounded Knee from the matriarch perspective. Um, They're also going to have an interactive oral history exhibit honoring the women of Wounded Knee 1973. That'll be open 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Porcupine Cafeteria and Gymnasium at Paha Sinte Yawa School in Porcupine, South Dakota on the Pine Ridge Nation. There's going to be an honoring lunch and attendees are going to receive a free commemorative t-shirt. Also an option too, if you go to warriorwoman.org, uh, the film Warrior Women will be available to watch online uh, tonight, Friday, February 24th through Monday, February 27th. And uh, you can click uh, on the Wounded Knee 50th button in the top left corner at warriorwomen.org to find that link. They're going to be hosting live stream presentations, discussions, and celebrations as well. I know we're going to have somebody coming on uh, from Warrior Women, Beth Castle, to talk about that later tonight. But this is really an exciting event that is uh, taking power back for women. And uh, we've got a jam-packed show here tonight lined with uh, all women. And I just uh, wanted to really highlight that. Speaking of warrior women, Winona LaDuke and Tara Hauska were on trial today in Aiken County for charges related to resisting the Line 3 pipeline. Uh, Tara Hauska shared a statement uh, yesterday and she said that she'll appear at her first court hearing on multiple criminal charges, including a gross misdemeanor trespass on critical infrastructure from a stop line three demonstration back on January 9th, 2021. Tara Hauska also goes on to say that of over a dozen arrests, only a handful of us have outstanding charges from that date, mostly Ojibwe women who were charged after the fact and served by mail. Two years later, the court is moving forward with criminalizing us for defending the drinking water of millions and giving voice to the earth. Aiken County law enforcement later engaged in use of pain compliance and physical force on human beings that shocks the conscience. Several severe lacerations from dragging young people out of a piece of Line 3 pipeline with ropes, later charging those same land defenders with assisting attempted suicide, twisting the limbs of climbers over 25 feet in the air, dangling their bodies as they screamed. There's a total disregard for human life and well-being to defend a fossil fuel project that disregards human life and well-being. Violence begins violence. Our, ours are acts of love and empathy and community with all living beings. We stand. That's Tara Hauska, who's on trial today in Aiken County, Minnesota, for charges related to the Line 3 pipeline. She's on trial alongside other warrior women, Winona LaDuke. 
I will have more information for that when we come back uh, after the weekend. You might be able to find a little more information on that on stopline3.org under the Drop the Charges tab in the upper left. I want to take a minute now and go to uh, local news here in northern Minnesota out of Cloquet. WDIO reports that a high school student at Cloquet High School jumped from a second-story window uh, last week on Thursday, and uh, the child, the student was taken by ambulance to the Duluth Hospital, and the injuries do not appear to be life-threatening. However, the reason why the student jumped is really the important part of the story. My sources tell me that that student was a trans student who had been suffering from bullying at the Cloquet schools, and it got so bad that they had wished to end their life and had jumped out of the window. Uh, the community over in Cloquet and uh, Fond du Lac, which is the nearest uh, community of Native people on the Fond du Lac Reservation, did have a walk um, to bring awareness on February 21st uh, right outside the school driveway at Cloquet. They had a rallying saying that the school officials do nothing about the zero bullying policy that they have on file and uh, that the community was really angered and uh, they wanted everybody to comment hashtag no bullying awareness on the event and uh, to turn out in person and I do know that that action happened and uh, you know it's just really disturbing when we see these events coming through with our students and our um, our trans community and um you know, our youth especially. And, you know, my prayers are up to that youth and I am grateful to creator that they were not hurt uh, in the jump. And I really hope that uh, Cloquet schools can find a way to do something about this. Last but not least, I do want to touch base on the ongoing Cop City uh, that activists and forest defenders are calling a massive Atlanta Police Foundation plan, which has $60 million in corporate fundings and $30 million in taxpayer money. What they're doing is building a humongous police training facility in Weilani Forest uh, near Atlanta. The neighborhoods that surround that forest are largely made up of lower income black residents and Cop City and the plans to uh, build it are going to decimate green space, which is already rare, and then replace it with a uh, police location to practice uh, tactics that we know uh, here in Minneapolis, especially uh, kill and uh, harm black and brown bodies every single day. Um, in addition to that, uh, there was a an activist named Tortuguita who was shot in the process of protecting the Weilani Forest. If you are interested in taking action to uh, send some support uh, to those who are in occupation right now, the Wilani Forest, and who are taking their time and uh, putting their lives on the line to protect forests, water, and uh, people from the police, uh, you can head on over to uh, stopthemoneypipeline.org or go to actionnetwork.org and uh, sign the petition for No Massive Police Complex Stop Cop City. I just wanted to tell everybody that I appreciate all of you listening to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake. We do have a Patreon. Uh, you can find us at patreon.com backslash Native Roots Radio Network. And if you have any dollars to spare, even if it's a couple of bucks, we would really appreciate anything you might be able to give to support the ongoing work that we have here at Native Roots Radio, providing news, commentary, uh, political information, community updates, and more. I know we've been covering the ongoing uh, process of the occupation at the roof depot in the Twin Cities, and uh, we cover a lot of environmental issues related to Native people as well as uh, history and more. So if you can, head on over to patreon.com slash Native Roots Radio Network and give what you can, or you know, consider giving to our sponsors. MN350 is a great sponsor of ours. They do a lot of work to help uh, BIPOC communities and uh, to defend the climate. Uh, you can go over to MN350 350.org backslash frontline fund backslash direct and that will get your funding directly to aiding frontline workers uh, within microfinance 
financing purposes. Uh, that provides emergency relief grants to those who are directly impacted by climate justice, grants to support and connect leaders within BIPOC communities, investments and opportunities to grow the climate justice movement in Minnesota, and support for individuals and communities that cannot easily access other sources of funds. So that is a wonderful way that you could support uh, the work of Native Roots Radio and uh, its relatives and uh, other people who are in this movement to make known and uh, take action to protect land, water, and climate. This is Ogamaganuakwe with Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake. Stay tuned for uh, Beth Castle, Wendy Pilot, and Mary Kunish. Hey, Ogama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Boost your immunity and help protect your community. COVID-19 is still here, but it's not too late to get your booster. Staying up to date with vaccines can help build protection that has decreased since your last shot and provide better protection against newer variants. Boosters are an important part of protecting yourself from getting seriously ill from COVID-19. To learn more and schedule your appointment, visit ramseycounty.us slash COVID vaccine. ramseycounty.us slash COVID vaccine. If the statistics say that one in three Native women and one in six Native men have experienced sexual assault in their lifetime, it means our whole community is affected by sexual violence. One is too many. Don't stand by. Stand up. Don't engage in acts of sexual violence and shut down the dirty jokes, the gossip, the victim blaming and shaming. As a community, we can change the way we respond. Contact the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition to attend a workshop to learn more. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Nightingale is your cozy, comfortable neighborhood restaurant in the Whittier neighborhood at 26th and Lindale. Nightingale has patio, dining room, and bar seating available. Plus, they still have takeout and delivery. Their menu has lots of delicious options like the famous Nightingale burger and fries, ginger tamari chicken wings, smoked chicken liver pate, and more. They're open from 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. daily with their full menu until midnight. So make the friendly neighborhood Nightingale your go-to restaurant in South Minneapolis. Place an order, make a reservation, and more at NightingaleMPLS.com. Hi, I'm Jane Fonda, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. Bonjour, relatives. This is Zoe Allen, and I want to introduce our next segment for tonight. Um, we have some more important messages and updates from State Senator Mary Kunish. So please stay tuned. Ha mataki yape, um petukinle shantewashte. Good day, everyone. This is Senator Mary Kunish coming to you from Minnesota. It's Friday, February twenty-fourth. We just came out of a bit of a snowstorm, so everything is kind of cold and white here in Minnesota, but um, that's what we live for, right? Uh, I'm the state senator here in Minnesota, and boy, have we been busy this past week. We passed two really important bills off of the Senate floor that are going to make a huge difference to a lot of people, thousands of people in Minnesota. And one of them is uh, Restore the Vote. So the Restore the Vote uh, legislation restores voting rights to those Minnesotans who have been convicted of a felony, but that they are not incarcerated and have um, followed through and, and paid their paid their role to society. It would actually, the figure is, um, impact about 50,000 Minnesotans from every corner of our state of Minnesota. So that means we can add 50, the potential for 50,000 more voters, 
uh, onto the roles of, of voting. And we know that uh, research has showed time and time again that when we have pro-social activities such as employment, community engagement, and importantly, um, the ability and the freedom to vote, it leads to lower rates of recidivism. That's what the research shows. And we also um, recognize that by allowing those 50,000 taxpaying Minnesotans uh, to vote, they once again have a voice in the government that is supposed to represent them. And let's not forget that they pay taxes for. So there's a lot of decisions being made um, in their communities, in their state, um, about them and others that they don't have a voice in. And it's really important that this happens um, here in Minnesota because our disenfranchisement rate is over four times what it was 40 years ago. The records show that black men are disenfranchised at seven times the rate of white men. And that means that 95% of the individuals um, who are incarcerated will eventually be released and reintegrated into their communities, but they don't have a voice in, um, in, in, in what's going to happen and the decisions made about our state. So we really, really want to focus on rehabilitation and reducing that recidivism and restoring the vote is definitely, uh, here in Minnesota, the, the way to do it. The other bill that we passed at uh, a.m. in the morning, we started at uh, 11 in the morning and went till 12.30, took a break so we could go to our committees, came back at 5.15, and we were there till 3.30 in the morning debating these two bills. But the second bill that we passed off the Senate floor is driver's license for all. And what this legislation does, it allows all Minnesotans, you know, 16 and older, who have gone through their driver's license training, passed the tests, um, now have um, the ability to drive, that they can obtain a driver's right driver's license regardless of their immigration status. And it really does uh, impact and improve the public safety by making sure that everyone on our roads who is driving uh, has a license, that they have insurance, and let me tell you, it is 100% supported by law enforcement because the result of this is that it's going to strengthen our Minnesota communities and our families. It's going to bolster our economy. And um, again, not only supported by law enforcement, but by labor and business. And we want to make sure that those community members, our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, our students, our families, um, that at the time are undocumented, that, uh, that they are able to get to school and to work and to their medical appointments and to the grocery store and to um, their churches in a safe way, fully licensed and insured here in Minnesota. So um, there was a lot of suggestions about marking our license places, uh, license uh, cards, um, well, which, uh, you know, as a Democrat, as a DFLer, Democrat labor, farmer, farmer labor member, um, I'm I would really be concerned about putting those undocumented uh, workers at risk and uh, de decrease the likelihood that they would seek those licenses because it is so identifying and would possibly allow for targeted be, uh, behavior by our, uh, you know, public safety people, but also others. And we want to make sure that, um, that, that it's clear that it's not a proof of citizenship. If you have a driver's license, it's, it doesn't mean that you are now a citizen of Minnesota or of the United States, but it is proof of residency. And we want to make sure that, that those folks, and while they might be undocumented, they're still working 
and they're still paying our taxes. And they're the ones that really um, supported our economy during COVID when many others uh, did not go to work and were not there to to um, provide all the services that were provided. And they absolutely deserve uh, to live in our communities with dignity and respect. So those are the two that we um, passed off the Senate floor this week. Uh, it was a really great uh, conversation and debate and look forward to, to getting those folks um, and passing those laws, those bills to the governor for him to sign off on and um, implement. It'll make a big difference. Imagine with 50,000 more people on uh, of, uh, able to vote and all those others that are now safely driving. Minnesota will be better for it. I also just want to remind folks that on Monday I will be presenting the Minnesota, uh, the improved Minnesota uh, Indian Family Preservation Act um, off of the Senate floor, so that um, so that we are strengthening uh, and and expanding the federal laws of the Indian Child Welfare Act. We want to make sure that our tribes have that secure involvement and notification for both involuntary and voluntary case management for our kids who are um, perhaps removed from their families, um, suggested to go into foster care, and um, heaven forbid into adoption because we know the historic trauma that has occurred because of that. And so what this uh, bill will do it will in immediately ensure, and we are hoping that the counties and all of the um, child protection agencies will immediately uh, move to involve the Indian child's tribe at the very earliest point possible when it comes to the attention of Indian welfare agencies. And there are those, and we know that there's um, threats from the federal government that would say that we are not being doing our due diligence in protecting children. Of course we want to protect children. We want to protect children at the highest levels. But we also want to ensure that the tribes are involved at the very earliest possibility to, uh, to enforce that the ICWA laws, the protections for those Indian children are in place, that the best efforts, the earliest efforts to keep those kids in their family, in their homes. I mean, if it means that um, the family, the child's being taken away because there's no heat in the house. How can we help that family um, get heat in their house? If it's because they don't have proper winter garments, how do we get those garments? If they're truant, what is the, the impediment to getting them to school? So that's the um, MIFPA bill that we will be passing off the House floor, Minnesota Indian Family Preservation Act. And we've got lots more to do this session. So um, I'll be back in a week and give you another update. But in the meantime, uh, stay safe, stay warm. Wopalitanka, Pinigigi, and take care, everyone. Hey, it's Patrick. February is the month for love, but when was the last time you gave your carpet the love and attention it really deserves? If your carpet hasn't been professionally cleaned, you are breathing unhealthy levels of nasty dirt, dander, bacteria, and germs that keep recirculating again and again. And what's worse, you're going to be stuck inside breathing that nasty stuff for months. Lucky for you, Zero Res is going to spread the love for you and your home with their Love Your Rug special. 
Get three rooms, zero resified from the Twin Cities' number one carpet cleaner starting at just $119. Plus, this month only, they are throwing in a free hallway to sweeten the deal. But hurry, this deal won't last long. And because love has no limits, Zero Rest is going to take 75 bucks off your air duct cleaning. You owe it to yourself and your family to breathe healthy, happy, and clean. Call Zero Res right now, 9520-RES, or go online at ZeroResMinnesota.com and say you want the AM950 special. Zero Res. Don't drive too fast or you will miss Scott Jamama's Hot Barbecue. Scott Jamama's offers huge taste out of a little place. Located at 3 West Diamond Lake Road near the intersection of Nicolette Avenue and West Diamond Lake Road in Minneapolis, this tiny hole in the wall offers mouth-watering baby back ribs, grilled chicken, and half-pound pulled pork sandwiches. Don't forget to add the potato salad, spicy baked beans, twice-baked potatoes, and delicious desserts. Find their winter hours and full menu at scottjamamas.com. Hi, Minnesota. This is David Pakman. You can hear my show every weekday at 2, right after Tom Hartman on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Winter is here, and there's a good chance your home isn't being heated efficiently. And it's likely because of air sealing and insulation problems. Inadequate attic insulation is the leading contributor to high energy bills, cold rooms, and ice dams. Great news. The energy-efficient pros at Snap Construction can fix it all. Stop the heat from leaking out and save. Call 612-333-SNAP or visit snapconstruction.com for your free infrared energy inspection. Install with Snap Construction and qualify for over $750 in rebates and incentives. State and city programs are now offering 0% financing for qualifying insulation upgrades. So call Snap Construction for your free insulation energy consultation and start saving on your energy bills. Call 612-333-SNAP. That's 612-333-SNAP. Or visit snapconstruction.com. Snap Construction is arguably the most well-reviewed insulation and exterior contractor in the metro area. Visit snapconstruction.com. Hi, I'm Peter Solak. And I'm Adam Ostrowski. We are here at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces to talk about the joy of live fire cooking. Cooking over a live fire is the oldest and most basic form of cooking. What's new is in the way a fire is handled and its heat is managed. It's easier to experience and enjoy the smell and taste of food cooked over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces sells and installs live fire grills, fire pits, and ovens. Let us help you experience the smell, the taste, the fun of cooking with fire. Pizza was first made and is still best made in an open fire oven. The radiant and conductive heat of a live fire is unmatched for wood roasting and baking artisan breads, too. Come see the many ways you can cook over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces has over 35 working wood and gas units on display at the corner of East Franklin and Riverside Avenue in Minneapolis. More information at woodlandstoves.com. Find the fire that works for you. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977. With a look at your AM 950 weather, I'm Patrick Lilia. Snow possible tonight with a low of 2 above, then sunshine Saturday with a high of 27. If you're someone who has thought about going solar but are unsure if it's right for you, sign up for All Energy Solar's winter webinar. Visit allenergysolar.com slash webinar to register for an event and see what incentives are available for you. And we're back to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. Hey, welcome back to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. Well, really excited to have Beth Castle on, and we have a lot to talk about, a lot happening with the 50th anniversary. Uh, welcome to Native Ritz Radio, Beth, as always. Thank you, Robert. I'm really happy to be here today to talk about what we're going to do this weekend. Right on. Hey, let's start with, uh, it's the 50th anniversary, but I know for many, many years you've been accumulating a warrior woman. uh, uh, Well, as a matter of fact, I got to just say you're the uh, creator and director of a warrior women documentary, which to me is one of the best documentaries out there about 
the movement and the people in it, and especially the women who led it. So I just I wanted to back up and say that because uh, it's really exciting to know you and the people that you come with and uh, and the power that you bring to our community. So again, Pinigi, thank you, and uh, let's get into what's happening this weekend. We know we have the 50th anniversary of Wounded Knee, but but what does that mean to warrior women and yourself? Well, you know, it's, you know, thank you for all of that because it is definitely, I'm trying to decide if I reveal this about myself, but let's just say that the 50th anniversary parallels itself very closely with my age. (laughs) So (laughs) it's, and I have spent half of my life on a journey uh, interviewing um, and learning from these, these incredible women um, who were, you know, a word that we use now, matriarchs, in a way that, you know, we weren't using 10, 15 or so years ago. But um, it's one of the words that comes the closest to describing, even though it's still a very Western anthro term. But, you know, Indigenous women are really taking it back um, in, a, in a good way to just that inherent power of women and how community and history is really organized around um, what we do. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of wild. I think at the moment there's just, I know I'm overwhelmed with feeling partly because, you know, it was 1998 when I first sat down to interview, um, Geraldine Janice and Ellen Luce camp when I made my first visit to Pine Ridge, didn't know what I was getting myself into, but, um, you know, they were willing to, to tell me their story and, um, it definitely, you know, to see this many years later, it be the centerpiece of what the Warrior Women's Project is trying to do tomorrow, mm-hmm. which I'm really proud of. And I'd love to, to give you some, some more details because we really want um, people involved and we want people to learn from, you know, learn from and inform us as well um, in this like co-collaboration of making history. Yeah. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, you know, on Saturday correct uh saturday you're going to be doing a live stream along with many people that are still survivors that were uh involved with wounded knee as uh we've found out over the years here on native roots radio that you know everything's been pretty much uh woman led regardless of what uh you see in the press or whatever the women have been in the background running things forever you know, it's a hundred percent. It's fascinating to see how that changes over time. Um, but part of what, you know, and this is what I started to do all those years ago was it's just like, how did these social movements that just changed, you know, cha- change so much that we take things for granted, which in a way that's good, <laughs> right? Because we were changing so many growth inequities and, and issues, but you know, part of it has been what the warrior women project is trying to do as well, which is change the questions we ask about history, how we look at it and the words that we use, because we're often, you know, people will say, well, we're trapped in using this language in English of like, what was women's role? And that's sort of an additive model. So like there's this thing that goes on that's like the important mainstream history and then how do women fit in? And that's just part of what we're trying to do is like help bring people back to a community-based history that better reflects, you know, for example, how Native communities have survived and, uh, you know, the resilience of them over all these years and how folks get along. And so tomorrow, um, as part of this day-long interactive oral history exhibit is what we're calling it. And, you know, I would say I think it's pretty rare and we're really proud of it because what we're doing is bringing back to the community um the story that started there and that doesn't happen that often. And not only are we doing that, we're really asking people to give us feedback. We're not bringing a museum exhibit as though it's done and we're providing this information. It's that here are, um, you know, here's a set of stories that are, you know, filmed audio, um, oral histories that were done over the last 25 years with key women who were from Pine Ridge, but also some of the women, like, for example, Pat Bellinger, one of the, you know, the matriarchs of the American Indian movement from the Twin Cities, 
um, is also featured because we're trying to show this ecosystem of activism and how people are involved in all different ways, doing all different things to, you know, move this forward. Wow. That, that's exciting. Now, people that aren't in being able to make this, how can they um, watch what's going on? Um, do we have a live stream? What's, what's happening? Yeah, let me, let me try to. And here's the thing I want to invite everybody to sort of like forgive us because this is a really challenging thing that we take very seriously about making sure that we show up for the community in person um, as best we can in real time, on the ground, at the um, Porcupine Gym, uh, where we'll be tomorrow between 11 and 5. And part of what our goal is, is that we will be live streaming starting at 1 p.m. till 3 p.m. Um, it is the case that on our, on our media right now, and I guess this is something you can put up for me, Robert, but I will repeat a few times, is yes. that Anything you need to go to is on a landing page on our website. So it's warriorwomen.org slash WK50. So WK50. And through that, you will be able to get to the live stream link. You will also be able to, for the period of time starting tomorrow, Friday, through the end of day Monday, the Warrior Women film that you mentioned earlier that was um, made by myself and Christina King. Uh, will be available for uh, anybody who would like to stream it. We want to make it accessible. So we really hope people can take the time if they haven't seen it to, to take a chance and watch it because there's going to be a lot of great context and history. Um, but tomorrow, you know, and this is the beginning, like this exhibit is about 20 banners of content and um, 13 banners are dedicated to individual women who were all interviewed for the Warrior Women Project over the years. And then some general history banners, but we also recognize that this is in no way the entire history, but they are part of, you know, key women who were inside Wounded Knee, who uh, made the call for Wounded Knee, you know, for what ended right. up bringing American Indian movement there. So we're trying to do a lot of history, but we're also, as I said, inviting people to come and give us their feedback. And this is the big thing. Anyone, um, you know, who does join us and has a story to share about Wounded Knee, we're there on site with teams to capture the oral history interview. So it could be something short. Maybe it's this, and it can be intergenerational. So it's a story about your grandmother that someone was told you or you, you know, you picked up. We want to try to build as full a community history as we can by incorporating all the voices. So that's another thing we'll be doing tomorrow. Oh, that's exciting! And that's uh, we got a couple minutes left in the segment. That's uh, let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's let everyone know how to find that again. I'm sorry, uh, Warrior Women. Sure, WarriorWomen.org slash WK fifty WK five zero. Wow! And that will take you. Um, and just so I can run it down for you. Like I said, we want to be present for the folks who are in person. Um, and so from 11 to 1, we're going to be in the, you know, in the gymnasium, in the cafeteria area. There's a lunch being provided that's in honor of two important women who ran the Wounded Knee Legal Defense Offense Committee. So they did the legal work um, along with Ken and Rachel Tilson. And this is, you know, like I said, there's so much history here. To recognize, um, but that lunch will occur uh, at one o'clock. We'll start programming that will happen in the gym. That includes we're calling it the Circle of History because we want to leave space for people who may join that. But by and large, it would be a discussion of women inside Wounded Knee. Um, and then we will do an interactive. We're going to do a walkthrough of the exhibit um, so that people can see it, but. You know, the goal in the for the future of the exhibit is that we want to see it travel places. Yeah. So um, this is our, you know, sort of our test, our test space um, to start with. And then we want people to interact, you know, so between um, three and five specifically is time for interacting with the oral history exhibit and listening at each banner. You can also listen to the oral history that corresponds with the picture and the quote and the content that's in the banner. 
Wow, that's exciting. I don't know if you saw 60 Minutes last week, uh, but they had uh, uh, a lady who was doing exactly what you've been doing for these 20 years, 20-some years, uh, in the African-American community. And I, I just felt really proud to know you that you're, you've been way ahead of the ball and you've been uh, really uh, recording our history that, you know, normally is is handed down in the tradition of stories, but we, you're, you're having them tell stories that we need to know and our allies need to know where we've come from and how, how far we've come and how far we have to go is almost the same thing. Right, Beth? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a very, and that's part of why it's so important that we're on the ground tomorrow um, knowing that like a lot of times, like something huge, like wounded knee happens that, leads to a global indigenous movement it leads to the word indigenous being crafted used and taken on at the united nations and that work comes from you know a handful of grandmothers on the ground who are just not going to take it anymore right and we're willing you know to do the things that they did that has also caused a lot of pain and it's been challenging because it you know anytime you engage in this type of action there's going to be there's going to be some trauma tied to it, but that's why it's so important that we be on the ground and just be accountable so that we can hear, you know, get that feedback from people, you know, because, and that's the other part is like, if we're not co-creating history, which is just how we need to do things from now on, then we're just telling, we're not, we're not telling history. We're just telling the propagandist, you know, self-serving lie. And that hasn't helped anybody. Exactly. Well, I'm here with Beth Castle, warrior woman, uh, and you are a warrior woman yourself. I really appreciate you stopping in, and I will be seeing you at Wounded Knee on Saturday. Hey, just be careful out there. You know, the weather's crazy, but I can't wait. Thanks for your support, Robert. Right on. Always good to talk to you, and we'll see you Saturday. Hey, you're listening to Native Brits Radio Presents I'm Awake, and we'll be right back after the short break. Please stay with us. Boost your immunity and help protect your community. COVID-19 is still here, but it's not too late to get your booster. Staying up to date with vaccines can help build protection that has decreased since your last shot and provide better protection against newer variants. Boosters are an important part of protecting yourself from getting seriously ill from COVID-19. To learn more and schedule your appointment, visit ramseycounty.us slash COVID vaccine. ramseycounty.us slash COVID vaccine. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States, and 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's live and let howl. JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. Hi, this is Representative Sharice Davids from Kansas. I'm Ho-Chunk, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. Wajile, 
Hey, welcome to Native Rich Radio Presents. I'm Moik, and I'm your host, Wakanjahare. This portion of the show is sponsored by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Wow, I didn't get that up quick enough, darn it. I don't know what I'm doing, Wendy. Here, let's do that again. That's just howl. Ready? Howl. Okay, thank you. Hey, I'm here with my awesome and beautiful wife, Wendy Pilot. Wendy has been an animal advocate for many years, and she also has been on the show for over six years, co-hosting for many, many years, and she's back here to talk about our sacred animals. Thank you, Wendy, and welcome as always. Yes. Hi, everybody. My name is Hanaji Hihani, and that means cares for them. I was given that name by my Dega Curtis. Curtis go, goes by Mashke Hanajinga, which means walks on white clouds. I'm a humane policy volunteer leader for the Humane Society of the United States, and I work on animal issues at the local and state level, and it was always my pleasure to do that. And uh, Robert, today we were watching the news earlier today, and we saw that the DNR has an eagle cam uh, where, where it can watch these eagles who have eggs that are in this nest right now. And the eagle is shown like covered in snow with just her head sticking out. And it seems very miserable to me. And I wouldn't want to be doing that, but that's what eagles do this time of year. Exactly. Yeah. And I have an art, uh, an article here from B105. Uh, and it says here, it's been a busy month already for the Eagles that star on the DNR's Eagle Cam. Uh-huh. On February 15th, around two, uh, 12.30 p.m., the first egg of the 2023 season was spotted in the nest. Then on Saturday, February 18th, just before noon, the female laid her second egg. Her mate uh, was providing food and trading off incubation duties. I'm really glad wow. that they um, share in the responsibilities of uh, being parents. So that's really great. Yeah. Yeah. The DNR noted that the mate is never far away, keeping a watchful eye over the nest for intruders and predators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember that nest we saw down south? It was. Uh, way up high in this tree it was really big nest um, big as a Volkswagen. yeah it was really it was, big. i've never seen an eagle's nest that big yeah and the people who lived on the property said that these eagles came back year after year after year but i loved what they did to the tree they kind of tacked on uh this like metal tin, yeah. tin sheet sheet that goes around the tree so that the raccoons and other animals can't climb up the tree. They slide right down. Yeah. It's on the trunk of the tree, which is hard to say. <laughs> yeah. So I love that they do that because they do have quite a bit of uh, intruders. Yeah. Those uh, raccoons with those masks come at night and mm-hmm. want to eat. They want to have egg salad. <laughs> they do. I know. I know. And yeah. you said owls too, but we don't talk about owls because you know what that means. And uh, yes. Native, and, uh, Ho-Chunk. Don't Ho-Chunk. Sh- I could say it though. Oh. It means death in a oh. chunk if you see an uh, an owl. Yeah, yeah. Of course, though, Whoa. this week brought a lot of snow, and the eagles had been bringing more nesting material materials in preparation. So they must feel the barometric pressure and know what's happening. I feel that on my knee that they do that, but I don't know what's happening. <laughs> exactly, as those watching the eagle cam witnessed, all the snow quickly impacted the nest and covered the star the mama who is really the star of the eagle cam right however there is no need to fear the eagles will be fine and the snow provides insulation for the for the eggs as they incubate the dnr says the eggs are now nestled further down in the soft fur feathers leaves and grasses tucked in around them and you can watch the eagle cam 24 7 uh to check them out so you should do that and they said here around mid-march we should be able to see cute fuzzy headed chicks in the nest so that's really exciting to to do that yeah I love that. And um, so, Robert, I was really thinking about this. Why do the eagles lay their eggs in winter? Right. Because it seems kind of really miserable that they do that. Do they have a choice or is it in in breaded or are they 
making a, a, a logical choice on this? Well, you know what the thing, here's the thing. Um, here's the thing. So it takes, it takes Eagle parents about 116 days to lay and incubate eggs and bring nestlings to fledge. Uh, so if an eagle laid eggs in mid-April, its young wouldn't fledge until mid-August, which means that the parents would be trying to keep the eggs and eaglet, eaglets cool in the hot, humid summer. Mm. It's a lot easier for bald eagle parents to keep eggs and uh, their young warm in cool, dry weather than to cool them in hot, humid weather, right? Wow. So if the eggs and the eaglets survive summer's heat, they would be learning to fly and hunt in mid-August when the prey is starting to become uh, a little less abundant uh, in many territories. That's smart. Isn't that smart? Yeah. That's smart. So not a big Makes deal sense. for the skilled adult hunters because they've been used to doing this, but a little tougher for new fledged eaglets learning to fly and hunt at the same time. If the eaglets still dispersed in September, they would have less than a month of flying and hunting under their wings before striking out on their own. Mm. So, yeah, so this is really important. And that's why this is why... Um, you know, they have the, the eggs. And not to change them. the subject, but if uh, are any of our white allies out there ever find an eagle feather, they should give it, to, either leave it on the ground mm -hmm. in all seriousness or give it to me. But yeah. um, <laughs> exactly. legally, uh, uh, only Native Americans have, can have an, an eagle feather. You, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's crazy, though, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it is. Because I, I found I, a nice white one down by the river and then gifted it to a former student for graduation. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, and she wore it in her graduation cap and I think she has it showing prominently and hopefully uses it, uh, because that's what we're supposed to do as natives is use those feathers and for smudging and for, yeah, yeah. prayer, mm -hmm. for prayer, for definitely. Prayer. Yeah. That's right. I love that story. That's great. Yeah. Eagles can fly up to 30 miles an hour and can dive at speeds of a hundred miles an hour. Wow. Yeah. Bald eagles develop characteristic white head and tail feathers by four to six years of age. So a lot wow. of times we'll see the eagles and we could see that they're eagles. We know that they're eagles, but they're like a really dark brown or black color. And those are just young eagles who haven't developed that white head and tail because they're not four to six years old. That's crazy. I didn't know that until we had this show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. Fledging eagle eagles, that's what we're talking about. The fledging eagles learn to fly at three months of age. I like when you call them eaglets. Eaglets. Yeah, isn't that cute? <laughs> eagles live, uh, let's see. Oh, eagles, yeah, can, 30 years or more what? in the wild. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the male bald eagles are smaller than the females. Mm -hmm. And eagles mate for life and return to the same nesting territory year after year. I think that's really astonishing that they do that and the funny thing is that um here's some trivia whenever you hear a supposed eagle in hollywood movie or cartoon it's been dubbed over by the screech of a red-tailed hawk um eagle calls are quite soft and weak sounding and not <laughs> not considered cool enough for hollywood wow. so when you see that it's the red-tailed hawk yeah, that's amazing. You know what that also makes me think of is that eagles' bones are hollow. That's how they can fly because it's amazing that they're so big and that they can fly and fly so fast and high. Mm -hmm. um, and also, uh, you know, they are hollow. And you hear when you hear a a whistle at a powwow or or any kind of uh, gathering. Mm -hmm. sacred or not with native americans that's from the eagle bone wow that's amazing yeah, yeah. it really is well wendy there you go again uh didn't know these things i'm glad uh you uh check in and do the sacred animal portion of native roots radio for all these years and i really appreciate you and and i'm 
when we go out and about and people know run into you and know who you are they really appreciate your segment so it's always welcome thank you so much thank you it's my pleasure hey if you're listening to the show you are part of the resistance we need to resist divest join a group run for office you've been listening to native roots radio presents i'm awake and i've been your host robert pilot we're still here we are the seventh generation free leonard peltier now <laughs>